listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. This past week, Paula and I finally got a chance to watch the movie Minari, also known as Minari. And now, I'm just about ready to become a farmer, inspired. As you may know, Minari is a highly acclaimed movie about a Korean family that moves to a small Arkansas farm in hopes of pursuing the American dream. Well, our backyard isn't exactly the Ozarks, and okay, fine, I'm no farmer, I'm barely a gardener, but recently, my family and I have enjoyed seeing the lettuce in our daughter's little garden just explode with lushness and life. You should see the little strawberries that are starting to turn red. It's been rewarding. But as you might expect, we haven't always been successful. The pansies out front got crushed by a rainstorm. The freezing temperatures just slaughtered our basil a few weeks ago. Even in these first few weeks of spring, we've been reminded that it's hard enough just to nurture and cultivate life in my backyard, planting, watering, weeding. I'm just glad it's not our job to create life, making the sun to shine, making seeds germinate, making flowers bloom. No human being could do that job. No human being. Creating life. You might say that's exactly the job of the Holy Spirit. And not just in the agricultural world. God the Holy Spirit creates spiritual life. We find this truth in today's passage explained by Jesus himself in a conversation he had with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a a Pharisee, a group known for their strict adherence to religious rules, and he was a ruler among them, a person with religious authority. And central to Jesus' teaching that night, in that conversation, is the metaphor of birth. And birth in the ancient world served as a proxy for the beginning of human life. Jesus says in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. At this, Nicodemus understandably gets a little confused. Kids, maybe that sounds weird to you too. Born again, Nicodemus says, Do you mean I need to crawl back into my mommy's tummy and be born all over again? No, silly, Jesus answers. I'm talking about something that happens in your heart, something so new, something so for the first time, it's like being born like a baby. And how does this spiritual birth happen? Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 8, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, the Christian life starts with a birth, a rebirth. New spiritual living and breathing and perceiving and responding and growing that is begun by God, the Holy Spirit, whose supernatural work it is to make you and me spiritually alive. 
This is what theologians call the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration. It can be found throughout the pages of Scripture in places like Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's that word, and renewal of the who? Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 talks about regeneration as sort of a a spiritual heart transplant. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. 1 Peter 1, 22 to 23 tells us that even the love with which we love is made possible by our spiritual rebirth. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6 talks about regeneration as a spiritual resurrection and a gift of God's love. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Indeed, our regeneration, rebirth, is nothing less than the spiritual gift of life. And it's a gift given by the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Christ, have you recently given thanks to God that you are spiritually alive? But let's dig a a little deeper. Why is this rebirth given to us by the Holy Spirit? Why is it even needed? And how do we receive it? In the time we have remaining, let's look at each of these questions in two parts. First, the problem of spiritual death. And second, the promise of spiritual life. The problem of spiritual death. Sadly, the last year has forced us to reckon with the reality of death, hasn't it? Maybe more than we ever have collectively in this generation. Did you know that the Bible talks about another kind of death? Not a physical death, but a spiritual one. I don't know if you've seen the Pixar movie Soul. The main character, Joe, spends some time in a a spiritual other world called the astral plane. And there he gets a glimpse into what happens to people living on earth who begin to lose their love of life. People who become wandering beings without purpose. On earth, these lost souls, as they call them, might still be going through the motions of life at work and at home. But in the astral plane, you get a view into what's really happening in their souls. They've become these darkened, almost faceless, kind of creepy ghouls, hunched over and wandering alone. They've experienced sort of a death of soul, a loss of purpose, a a loss of self, an emotional sort of death. Something died in me is the language we use to describe it. Some of us are all too familiar with this. 
that the Lord comfort you today if this describes you. The point I'm making here is that even if you don't consider yourself a particularly religious person, we're all familiar with the idea of an inner deadness, a condition that runs deeper than the physical. And the Bible tells us that that's exactly right. There's such thing as a moral and spiritual lifelessness that characterizes all of us until we encounter the God of life. We heard it earlier. Ezekiel 36 told us that we by nature have hearts of stone. Ephesians 2 told us that we were dead, dead in our trespasses, our sins. We are unresponsive to the majesty and the beauty of God. No spiritual vital signs, as it were. And this is precisely why we are in need of the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, the power to be reborn. Jesus uses the language of darkness, condemnation, perishing, and judgment to convey this very idea spiritual deadness. He says in verse 19, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And in verse 20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is telling us we have a problem. We don't just do darkness. We love the darkness and hate the light. We love when bad things happen to our enemies, when bad things happen to people we envy. And we hate the light of truth, don't we? The truth about our pride, about our selfishness, about our lust for control, because we hate saying sorry and hate admitting we're wrong. We not only do evil deeds or think evil thoughts or desire evil desires, we also justify them. And ignore them and remain in the dark. It's almost like we pull down a moral blindfold over our eyes. We don't want to see, so now we cannot see. See, this is our spiritual deadness. We can't see God as worthy of our whole life worship. We daily forget God. He's just out of the picture. And we shrug at this indifference towards the divine. We're appalled at the erasure of people and their histories, how much more appalling is our erasure of God and his story? But it's not just God we can't see. We also can't see our neighbors as worthy of our love. We don't or won't consider their tears. We can't see our neighbor's tears. We can't uh, love, consider the ways in which we constantly criticize others the way we look down on people based upon even their appearance. It's true. It's embarrassing, but true. And we can't even see ourselves. We live with a distorted self-image. In our hypocrisy, we, we judge others by a different standard than we judge ourselves. It's like we're examining everyone else's sins and failures on a wall sized high def screen but then only glance at our own sins through a a tiny, grainy screen on an old Nokia flip phone. Friends, we have a problem. And it's best described as a spiritual darkness and deadness within. But our tendency is to think that what we really need is just more education, another book to read, 
or more behavior management, keep in line, or more laws, or less laws and more freedom, or more spiritual disciplines, or really more items crossed off your to-do list. That's really the answer. But what Jesus is telling us is that if our problem is darkness, then we need light. And if our problem is spiritual death, then what we need is a life giver, a resurrector. What we most need, indeed whom we most need, is the Holy Spirit who gives us life. This brings us to our second point, the promise of spiritual life. Now, I have three kids, as many of you know, and I still remember the birth and delivery of each of them like it was yesterday. I can still hear their first cry, their tiny lungs pumping out those little squeals, and I can remember hearing those cries actually with relief and joy. Why relief and joy? Because a baby's first cry represents health. A baby's first cry represents life. It's no different spiritually, of course. See, the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. We're born again. We are born of the Spirit by the Spirit of God. And when this happens, we come alive to the glory of God. And just like a baby's first cry, we immediately show signs of life. Before we were in darkness, but now we begin to see. We see ourselves and so cry out in repentance. Verse 21 talks about coming to the light. Perishing is our natural destiny. Condemnation for our sins is our natural destiny. We see these things about ourselves and we come out of the darkness and into the light. Have you seen these things about yourself, your sin, your selfishness? Do you want to come out of the darkness? Will you come to the light? We see ourselves and cry out in repentance, and we see Jesus and call out in faith. You might have noticed how much this passage talks about belief in Jesus six times in these verses. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, we're told in verse 18. And again in verse 14, Jesus refers to the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 21. There we find the story of God's people cursed for their rebellion with a plague of poisonous snakes all over the place. And the only way they could be healed is by seeing, by looking with faith at a serpent made of bronze lifted up before the people by Moses. And in the same way, Jesus says, we who were afflicted by the poison of sin, we must see Jesus lifted up on the cross, not bronzed, but bruised, dying for our sins. As we're told in verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And listen to verse 16, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you hear that, dear friends? 
When the Holy Spirit gives us new birth, we begin to see Jesus for who he is. We see that he rescues us from perishing. We see that he withholds his condemning. We see that he offers us eternal life, life as it was truly meant to be, in perfect harmony with God, with other people, and with ourselves, and with this world. And in all this, we begin to see his love. His love for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you know this God, this God, for God so loved, he gave and gave and gave. Do you see the unmerited love of God, the inexhaustible generosity of God? Do you see the giving of his son for you who were helpless and dead in your sin? God created you to be fully alive. And now, as we're told in verse 3, we can see then through Christ and by his Spirit, see the kingdom of God, the presence and the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God, the love of God. Friends, you can see. You can be born. Do you want to see? Do you want to be fully alive? As the English evangelist Leonard Ravenhill famously put it, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men live. This is the life that we're offered, and God gives it to us by his Holy Spirit. If you were to flip forward in the book of John, turn the pages, You'll find in chapter 19 the story of Jesus' crucifixion and death. And there in verse 38 of that chapter, when we're told about Jesus' burial after he died, we encounter Nicodemus one more time. This is what it says. Joseph of Arimathea came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night came bringing a a mixture of myrrh and aloes, uh, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices. There he was, Nicodemus, in, in now far riskier circumstances, honoring and preparing the body of, of one who had actually been executed as a criminal against the state. But now here he is, Loving Jesus in his death. Uh, Perhaps he had seen Jesus, seen the meaning of that conversation that night. Seen the meaning of his life and of his death. Uh, Perhaps Nicodemus was saved as he finally saw God's love. Perhaps he had been born. Perhaps by the Holy Spirit, he was finally alive. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.